I recently heard someone say, you need to know what your problems are and you need to know where your power lies. After Easter Sunday each year, First United Methodist Church here spends some time intentionally reflecting on how we care for our creation. And I really like that we do this. You know, we spend five or six weeks in the fall talking about what it means to be a good steward of the church. And so I think it's good that we take some time every spring to intentionally think about our bigger call to stewardship, our call to be stewards of God's creation. And in many ways, this sermon series that we do every year is is a project in identifying the problems that we face on the one hand and our claiming of power, the power to transform the world on the other hand and bringing those together. And so as part of that project, part of our ongoing project to care for creation, I want to take some time today to talk about one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It is sometimes referred to as the second story of creation. Most scholars agree that our Bible has two primary creation stories. The first story is perhaps the more familiar of the two. It's found in the first chapter of Genesis. It features God, um, who is called Elohim, and this God draws order out of chaos and speaks all things into existence over six days. And after each day, God, Elohim, looks out on creation and says, it's good. In order, in that first story of creation, God creates light and skies, dry land, seas, vegetation, sun, moon, stars, birds and fishes, animals and humans, both male and female, created together and at the same time. And all creation is held together in a divine order that we call Sabbath. This is a wonderful story. And during my very first year working at um, at FUMC back in 2014, I wrote a children's musical called Creating Sounds for the Music Makers program, where the children used instruments and electronic devices to, to try and imagine what each day of creation from that story sounded like. And the musical was bookended with this catchy tune, and I'm only singing this in case um, some people remember it, maybe some of my kids who are all grown up now, but In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. It's a catchy tune. But that's the first story of creation, God drawing order out of the chaos. The second story, um, which is identified in our pew Bibles um, by the heading, it, it calls it Another Account of Creation, It begins in the second chapter, verse 4. You just heard it read, and it's quite different. First off, God is now called by a proper name. That name is Yahweh. It's from that name Yahweh that we get um, our word, our name Jehovah. It's also from that word Yahweh, which we don't really know what it means, but um, we usually translate it as Lord. And so when you see Lord in small caps in your Bible, that's, um, that's a stand-in for the name Yahweh. 
But the differences pile up even more after that because we read about how man, and, and this time it's only the male, only man, um, we read about how he is created. It says, In the day that the Lord God, Yahweh, made the earth and the heavens, when no plant of the field was yet in the earth, and when no herb of the field had yet sprung up, you see right now that there's, there's no plants in this story yet, no plants, no herbs, for the Lord God had not yet caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no one to till the ground. There was no one to till the ground. Now, the word for ground in Hebrew, the ground that God needs someone to till, the word for that ground is Adama. And who might be a good candidate to till that ground, to till that Adama? Obviously, Adam. God makes Adam to till the ground, to till the Adama, and together they cultivate the earth. You might remember the movie Bruce Almighty from a while back. And at the end, you have God, who's played by Morgan Freeman, and, and human, in this case, played by Jim Carrey. Bruce is his name. You might remember them mopping a floor together. And when they finish mopping the floor, they look at their work and they say, it's good. And it is good. When we partner with God, it's good. When we work with God, it's good. But in this story of creation, that's not all that's needed. Something is missing. And so God looks at Adam and says, it is not good that you're alone. It's as though the text is saying, yes, work is good, especially when you work with God. Work is good, especially when you're working with the land. But there is still something missing because it is not good that you should be alone. And now, I want to be clear here. I don't think this means that we should seek, uh, that we should not seek solitary space from time to time. Um, When I got married to Lauren, I quickly discovered the power of four little words um, that I would hear uh, quite often, I suppose, um, those words being, give me some space. Give me some space. My daughter has even learned those words and will say to me, give me some space, Daddy. It's good to seek solitary moments every day. But this text is not saying um, never be by yourself. No, it's simply affirming that something, um, it's affirming something intrinsically human, that we are made to be with each other, that we are made for each other. We are made to be friends with each other. We are made to support each other. We are made to love each other. So about a year ago, I officiated my, my first wedding. And it was a very special wedding. We had gathered in Winston-Salem on a hot June afternoon, and we were socially distanced. And then we had a little ceremony, and and the bride and groom were both a bit older, you might say. Um, Both had already retired from their careers. Um, And and also, it it was not a first marriage for either of them. In fact, um... There was not much about this wedding that that was very traditional. There was, for example, there was no subtext about, you know, two young people getting getting together, being married, and there there were certainly no plans that that there would be children, you know. 
Um, those years were long gone for both the bride and the groom. None of that. No, these two people were getting married for one pure reason alone. They were getting married because it's not good. It's not good to be alone. Both the bride and the groom had suffered tragic losses. The groom's former wife died of cancer, and the bride's husband had had a heart attack some years before. These two people met in a counseling group at their local church, and they brought their grief to each other, and in doing so, they found support. They found friendship. And eventually, they discovered that they were in love. That groom is my dad, and that bride is now my new stepmother. During the ceremony, I told everyone that indeed it is not good that we be alone, and that this day, that joyous day in June, had brought us together to celebrate togetherness, to celebrate and affirm that old truth from Genesis, that people are made for each other. Or, as we say sometimes here at First United Methodist Church, we're better together. As I spoke those words at the wedding, I was really just reflecting on the remarkable story of a remarkable relationship, the relationship between my dad and my new stepmother. And I think I was also reflecting a little bit on uh, the remarkable relationship that my family has come to have with my new stepmother, Regina. And so that reflection is particularly meaningful to me today on Mother's Day. And I, I want to take time to, to thank God, especially for my mother, Mary, and my mother-in-law, Cindy, and my stepmother, Regina, and above all for Lauren, the amazing mother to whom I married, and who sometimes, in spite of our wonderful togetherness, will say to me, Scott, I really just need some space. (laughs) But doesn't that old truth that we are made for each other, doesn't that old truth reverberate in so many ways for us today? I think back over the past year, I think of the ways that we found to reach out to each other and to let them simply know that, that they were not alone. How many times did I, did I uh, stand in front of the video camera and, and urge people to send a note, to send an email, to call? And I know that those things happened. People are made for each other. I think of the joy that, that I've experienced and that so many of us have experienced um, when, when we were finally able to gather outdoors with family and with friends, people we hadn't seen for a long time, picking up uh, the pieces in our lives. People are made for each other. I think of schools finding ways to bring kids back to the classroom safely, And how that affirms that people are made for each other. I think of our church finally opening its doors to in-person worship and to other activities because people are made for each other. 
But you know it doesn't stop there. I think of um, how the schools in Haywood County gave out free lunch every day to any and all families in need. I think of how our church uh, regularly hosts manna pop-ups in the middle of the week. I think of the people in our church who not only work to feed the hungry, but work to undo hunger because people are made for each other. But it doesn't stop there. I think of the work our church has done in race relations here in Haywood County, partnering with our local NAACP to foster new and intentional dialogues, reaching out to local black churches, partnering in worship and in other ministries. I think of the members of our staff marching down Main Street, calling out the problems that exist and claiming the power that we have to live into a better future. All because people are made for each other. And I think of how our church gathered two summers ago and took a vote, a historic vote, a vote that we made in spite of our denomination's general silence, a vote to say with one voice to the LGBTQ community that we as a church do not exist to stand on a pedestal and tell you how you should live your life, but rather we affirm the good creation that is you, and we welcome you into this grace-filled partnership that we call church, this place where people are made for each other. And you know what? You know what else? People are still made for each other, even when people disagree with each other. And that is what creation care looks like. As I said earlier, this is the time of year when we think about how we as God's people are to care for creation. And I want to be clear, creation needs you to not litter. And it needs you to do more than just not litter. It needs you to pick up litter when other people do. Creation needs you to turn off light switches. It needs you to recycle and compost. It needs you to think about the food you eat and how that impacts the world. It needs you to support technology and legislation that helps free this world from unrenewable energy. It needs you to think about the future and what we can do to make a better future. But if our care for creation stops there, then I fear we may have missed the biggest picture. The quote I opened with a moment ago is from comedian Dave Chappelle. For me, and I know for others, his voice has been um, a particular voice of reason and wisdom over the past year, a voice that's been able to reach across many of the divides, um, many of the divisions we experience in our world. And in a, a recent Netflix special titled Redemption Song, he says it like this. He says, you need to know how to solve your problems, and you need to know where your power lies. And then he says, 
your power lies in each other. Your power lies in each other. When we say things like we're better together, or when I say people are made for each other, it's not just a slogan. It is the very power we wield against seemingly impossible problems. It is how we care for creation.